Bless the Lord. It's been, in, it's been in my heart for a couple of weeks to preach a message on hope today. So the title of the message today, A Door of Hope. A Door of Hope. I sense that the Holy Spirit wants me to let you know that he knows how you feel, that he knows the hopelessness that some of you are feeling today, hopelessness in general in life, hopelessness maybe in specific areas, finances, family, friends, circumstances of life. And the Holy Spirit wants to let you know that sometimes when you're feeling hopeless, the last thing you want to hear is a message on hope but that he's here to minister to us. He's here to speak with us, to guide us. He's the way maker. He wants to open the future to us, no matter what we faced, no matter what we're facing, that the Lord wants to give each of us today a fresh door of hope. It's a strange and yet familiar thing to me how that sometimes the Lord lets his ministers feel what he wants them to preach. This week I was hit with a spirit of hopelessness for a few hours. But I've walked this path before. I know how this path winds its way, and so I brace myself because I know the wind will blow itself out and the word of the Lord will release and the change will come. Hopelessness is not a reality to the Christian. It's simply a temptation that the Lord has to teach us how to overcome. Because we're all hit with that wind. We're all hit with that despair at times. It can happen during the week. It can happen over a circumstance. It can happen over words that are spoken. And that hopelessness, that spirit hits. But this morning, I come against the spirit of hopelessness. That God wants to give us hope. Don't we have a song in the house, Hope is Never Lost? Written by our worship department, Hope is Never Lost. You can count on God. Don't we have great prayers in the Bible, such as we have one of them in Romans chapter 15 by the Apostle Paul? Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by willpower, not by the power of the will. That'll fail you but by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have to get into the presence of God, get into the promise of God, renew our hearts in the presence of the Lord, and what will happen? Hope will be renewed. Expectation of good, anticipation of the good things of God will once again fill our heart. Now may the God of hope, that's how he identifies himself, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing. We have to believe, we have to have a spirit of faith that you may abound in hope, be overflowing in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have Jeremiah 17, 13, the amplified version. O Israel, the hope, O Lord, the hope, capital in this translation and a few others. O Lord, the hope of Israel, that's his name. All who forsake you shall be put to shame. They who depart from you and me, your prophet, shall disappear like writing upon the ground because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. The Lord gives us one of his names. His name is the hope of Israel. He only not gives his people hope. He is the hope of his people. It's his name. It's his character. Christ in you. 
Christ in you, God inside of us. He is very hope inside of us. It's his name. It's his name just like every other name revealed in the scriptures. He is healer. He is provider. He is redeemer. He's comforter. He has many things to his people. And one of the things he says, I am hope. I am living hope inside you by the presence of the Lord. Now hope, hope is a supernatural grace of God whereby the believer expects and waits for the good things of the promise of God that they have not yet received or not yet fully received. Hope is a supernatural grace. It's the God of hope. It's a supernatural deposit of the Holy Spirit in our lives where we anticipate and we wait for the good things of the promises of God, things we have not yet received or, in, or not yet received in full. And the God of hope wants to fill us with all joy and peace that we may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we, this morning I want to turn to one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. It's so beautiful it reads like poetry and it's Hosea chapter two, verses 14 to 16. We'll read these verses and then I'll comment on them. The Lord said these words, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, that is my bride, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. Then it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. God says, I want to do a work in my people. I want to renew them in the power of first love. He speaks to us in the language of regeneration. As in the day that we're born again and the love and the presence of God came rushing into our lives. God says, I want to speak to the heart of my people. I want to renew you in the power of fresh covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. We are married to Christ, the Bible says. And the Lord says, I, I will draw my bride. I will draw her. I will bring her into the wilderness. As Israel out of Egypt, they were separated from Egypt, which is a type of the world. They were separated unto God in the wilderness, all alone with God. All rival loves, all idols of this world had fallen. And God says, I'm there. I, I want to speak comfortably to you. I will give you vineyards from here. There's a promised land ahead of you. There's a Canaan life ahead of you. I'm going to give you vineyards that are going to flow with wine. You're going to tread out the grapes and rejoice in the goodness of God. I will give you the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there. God says, I'm going to put a fresh song of worship in your mouth. You're going to sing as in the days of your youth, the days when you were born again, as in the day when you came up out of your sin and darkness to the salvation of God. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you're not gonna call me by titles of station and duty. 
You're not going to have this official relationship with me that's kind of stiff and awkward. God says, you're going to call me not my master. You're going to call me my husband. There's going to be intimacy between us. There's going to be endearment between us. We're going to love one another fiercely. Now God says, I, this is the work I want to do. No matter what had happened to this people, they had fallen back. Some were discouraged. Some had forsaken the Lord. God says, I want to bring you back into the fresh covenant love. I want to bring you back into the wonder of my presence as you knew me when, I, when you first got saved. God says all these wonderful promises, but then he inserts in there these words. I will give you the valley of Achor as a door of hope. Valley of Achor as a door of hope. When the people of God under Joshua came to the promised land of Canaan, they were there by Gilgal, and then the first city they took was Jericho, which came down at the shout and marching of the people. And the people of God stood in a little valley. It was called the Valley of Achor. And God didn't want them to think that this valley was of little worth. It seemed so small. God says, this, this valley I'm giving to you as a door of hope. He says, this valley speaks of hope. It represents hope. And he says, I don't want my people to think that this little valley is of little worth. Because this little valley called hope is really the entrance into the full inheritance. You have to go through this valley. You have to go through the door of hope. It's like a door opens. And all of a sudden, the vast inheritance opens up. God says, I've got vineyards and olive yards. I've got fruit trees and fields. There are fountains. There are mountains. There are hills. There is plenty. There is abundance in this land of Canaan before you. Every man will sit under his vine and under his fig tree in the blessing of the Lord. Your families will be under the word of God, and you will be under eternal destiny. But God says, in order to take the land, in order to take the inheritance, you have to go through the door of hope. Without hope, you cannot inherit the land. Without hope, you cannot take the land. God says that is how important hope is. And he wants us to understand that this morning. Without hope, we will never take the land. Without hope, we cannot walk into the inheritance of the Lord. Hope is that important in our lives, that expectation of what God's going to do, that prophetic edge in our spirit, the goodness of the Lord. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God wants to deal with our hopelessness because our hopelessness will shut us out from the future. Our hopelessness will not take us into a land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. But if we will go through a door of hope, we will inherit the land. Pick up hope in your spirit today and may God fill you so that you abound in hope this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now it's interesting that God called it the Valley of Achor. Achor means trouble. And it was called trouble for a certain reason because a man called Achan, whose name means trouble, had troubled the congregation of the Lord by his sin and disunity. And that valley became a place of trouble. But God said, I want you to understand that the valley of trouble is a door of hope. Now sometimes a door opens smoothly and quietly, doesn't it? As if on well-oiled hinges. The door just opens and a new landscape opens up and a future opens up. Sometimes God opens a door because when God opens a door, no man can shut it. 
And sometimes the door opens that beautifully and you step out into a beautiful inheritance. But sometimes there's trouble. And what are we going to do about it? Are we going to give up hope? Or are we going to put our trust in the hope of Israel, the God who wants to fill us with hope? Sometimes there's trouble when a door opens, when God gives a future, when God gives an inheritance. Sometimes there's trouble in an individual life. Sometimes there's trouble in a family. Sometimes there's trouble in a church when God gives a door, an opportunity in the future. And what are we going to do about it? You can go through the scriptures. You can look in the book of Ezra where Zerubbabel, a man called Zerubbabel, was called by God to go and rebuild the city of Jerusalem that had lain waste for 70 years. The temple had been destroyed. The walls had been broken down. Nobody could live in the, on the hill of Jerusalem and Zion except jackals and wild donkeys. It was impoverished and broken down. And God gave a decree through a king. I want you to go back and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. I want you to go back, restore the temple and the worship to the people of God. How important that was. Seventy years, they'd lain in captivity. And all of a sudden, the word of the Lord came. Can you imagine the excitement as they gathered the singers and the priests and the Levites and the workers and all the people of the trade guilds to go back and rebuild Jerusalem? This was Jubilee. This was going to be the greatest event that had happened for hundreds of years as God would restore the city and the temple and the worship and the city of God. And they came back. And the Bible says in Ezra chapter 4 that the people of the land People became, came against their vision. People came against them and they weakened their hands. And it says they troubled them in their building. They troubled them in their building. And they conspired against them with counsel to discourage them. And you know what happened? The people of God gave up hope. A valley of trouble. A valley of trouble, but it was a door of hope that God had for them. But the people gave up hope. And for 16 years, nothing happened. In the days of Nehemiah, a further time in history as he came back to restore the walls with Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah restoring the walls of Jerusalem, building up the breaches so there'd be protection and life and security and glory in the city of God. And as they came back, it was true what, it, what Daniel had prophesied in chapter 9 and 25, that the street, and the, city, the street of the city and the walls would be built in troublous times. Troublous times. A door of opportunity. A time of trouble. But people had to walk through it or they couldn't get the inheritance. I think of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. He said, for a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Paul understood the advancement of the gospel. He said in another passage in 2 Corinthians, we are troubled on every side, but not cast down. We are troubled. He said, God's given us a great and effective door. But he said, there are many adversaries, the flesh, the world system, the spirit of the age. There are many adversaries, demonic powers, satanic opposition, a great and effective door, but many 
adversaries. He said, we are troubled on every side but not cast down. He said in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, when we went into Macedonia, he said a door was open to us. A door was open to us, but he said there were, there were, there were, we were troubled in our body. He said our bodies could find no rest. We were agitated. We were, we were, there, were, there were fightings without and fears within. Some churches don't want any trouble. Don't want any trouble. Just keep everything peaceful, everything nice. As soon as there's any trouble or disturbance, people get nervous and look for escape. Keep the church peaceful. Keep it respectful in the community. Don't let anything, don't let anything rock the boat, as it were. Keep the church respectful. Everybody talks nice about the church. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. He said, for all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Criticism, onslaught, attack of the enemy. You can have a nice, secure church in the world. Just ask the Laodicean church, the lukewarm church. We have need of nothing. We have silver and gold. We're clothed. We have a good reputation. Everything's great. Jesus said to them, you don't know it, but you're pitiable. You're naked, you're blind, you're wretched. Buy gold, try it in the fire. Get on some white raiment and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. We can have our pick, as it were. A false sense of security and a stalemate or trouble and triumph. Because the wall shall be built in the street in troublous times. True men of God know we are troubled on every side, but not cast down. We went into Macedonia and a door was opened, but there were many adversaries and there was trouble and our bodies had no rest. Without were fightings, within were fears. Listen, when God opens a door for you, some of you in the natural, some of you in occupation, business, some of you with your family, and all of a sudden agitation and some trouble comes, it's easy to pull away and say, I'm, I'm moving back from this. But I'd say that trouble, more often than not, is a sign that you're moving with God. And there's some attack, and there's some resistance, and there's some things you have to fight through to get the inheritance. The valley of trouble as a door of hope. No, no person can live without hope. The heart of man cannot live in this world without hope. And when people lose their hope, what happens? They give up on life. When they lose their hope, they give up, sometimes to tragic ends. We cannot live without hope. Now, there are two kinds of hope. Simply, there is human hope and there is heavenly hope. Human hope is temporal. It's of this world. It's of this life. And it's kind of tenuous. It's kind of shaky because we live in a fallen world and we're subject to the word of men and commitments of people and how this world economy progresses. So many changes that can happen. But still, there is human hope. And without it, people could not go on. People have hope of employment and the future and finances and recreation and good family times and, and fun and, 
and a good life, good blessing in this world. And if they didn't have it, they couldn't go on. But that hope is temporal, and sometimes it fails because it's a fallen world, and we're subject to many things, including the lies of men. But there is a hope, the heavenly hope, that is eternal and that is secure because it's backed by God himself and by his word, God who cannot lie. That is the hope of the Christian. We have an eternal, secure hope. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We have a solid hope in Christ. There is a spiritual or supernatural or heavenly hope, anticipation, eagerness, desire in every one of us that knows that God will fulfill his word in our life and that we will stand in the full promise of the word of God, even though we might face some trouble, even though we might face some difficulties in this life. Now let's look at a few things this morning. Number one, our greatest hope is God himself. Our greatest hope is God himself. Martha, Martha, you're troubled about many things, cumbered about. Come sit at my feet. Mary's chosen the good part. We'll take care of the duties of life later. Everything else can wait. I'm here for you, Lord. Psalm 62 and verse 5, my soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation, that is my hope, is from him. Our greatest hope is God himself. That's why we're totally obsessed with him. We can't stop thinking about him. We can't stop communing with him. I mean, we look after the duties of life and we have to give our attention. It's like we can't think about the Lord so much right then. We're, we're involved with intricate things and demanding things of life and jobs. But as soon as that is over, where do our thoughts go? They go back to the Lord. We can't get enough of him. We think about him day and, li- day and night. We wake up in the night and we're, we're thinking about the Lord, about his promises. We're thinking how to praise him. We're thanking him for all the goodness of the Lord. Our greatest hope is God himself. He's stolen my heart. Yes, he has. My beloved is mine, and I am his. All I imagine is to live for his glory. I can't get enough of his love. There are many disappointments that can take place in life. Disappointments with hopes and dreams of this world. Disappointments in relationships of life, even family and friends. But there's one relationship that will never disappoint, and that is your relationship with Jesus Christ and the God of heaven. That relationship with him will develop and deepen all the days of your life, and the most satisfying, the greatest, the most rewarding relationship you will ever have is with God himself, with his son Jesus Christ, and with the person of the Holy Spirit. Our greatest hope is God himself. Psalm 71, verse 5. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. 1 Timothy 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, our expectation, our anticipation 
is in him. Our greatest hope is God himself. Develop a relationship with the Lord. Walk close with the Lord. He will never disappoint you. That hope will never make you ashamed. That hope will never disappoint you because God is a faithful friend, faithful God. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He knows all about you all the time. He knows exactly to minister to your, how to minister to your heart. Things going on inside of you that you try, into our, try to articulate to other people and it just gets clumsy and they don't understand. But down in the depth of your heart, whatever you're facing, whatever you're working through, there is a God of heaven who by this person of the Holy Spirit knows exactly how to deal with your heart and heal you. Therefore, come boldly before the throne of grace that you may find mercy and grace to help in every time of need. Our greatest hope is the person of our Lord himself. Number two, our blessed hope is the coming of Christ and eternal glory. One day, the skies will break and the King of heaven will descend with the shout, with a shout and with the trumpet of the archangel. And the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise out of the graves and we who which, which are alive and remain will be caught up in the clouds with them in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We have an eternal hope. It's the blessed hope of the, of the redeemed that we will be forever with the Lord in heaven in eternal glory. The Bible says in Colossians 1.27, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery, this wonder, this marvel among the nations of the world, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Glory in this life, because from glory to glory, he's changing me. We're being transformed by the Spirit of God from glory to glory, one level of spiritual maturity to the next until we fully mature in Christ in this world. But we also have the hope of eternal life. Eternal glory is our portion. The hope of glory. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began in hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before time began you know once you've accepted the good news there can never be bad news again there may be disconcerting news. There be, may be difficult news. But once you've partaken of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of salvation, you can never have bad news again in your life because you belong to Jesus Christ and you belong to him forever and you will walk the golden, golden streets of glory one day. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Maranatha, our Lord comes. Colossians 1 and verse 5. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Because of the expectation, because of the anticipation, that hope, 
laid up in heaven, which we heard in the word of the truth of the gospel. 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope. It lives inside of us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. A living hope to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that never fades away, reserved in heaven for us who have been redeemed by the power of the gospel. This is the truth of the word of the gospel. Heaven and hell are real. Heaven and hell are taught in the scripture. Eternal life with Christ or eternal damnation in the fires of destruction. Jesus spoke about hell many times and warned the people. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Heaven and hell are real. There's a destiny that every one of us are going to one way or the other. And in this life, God gives us opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time to accept the Lord. Heaven and hell are real. The Apostle Paul was under sentence in Acts chapter 24. And he began to minister to a governor, a Roman governor, concerning the gospel. Listen, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that at one time we were without Christ. We were aliens from the commonwealth, wealth in common with the true Israel of God, people from the beginning of time who walked with faith, in faith with God. We were aliens from that wealth. We were aliens Strangers from the covenants of promise, the promises of the word of God. But now in Christ Jesus, we've been brought nigh. But he says in that same verse in Ephesians chapter 2 that at one time we were without hope and without God in the world. To be without Christ is to be without hope. He is the only hope of eternal life. Salvation in Jesus Christ Following Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal glory and eternal life. So the scriptures teach. Sometimes people ask me, how do you know there's a heaven or a hell? And I used to say, because the Bible says so. But I've added to that in recent years. And my answer is this. How do I know there's a heaven and a hell? Because of the accuracy of the Bible on every other point. Because of the accuracy of the Bible on every other point. You can cut that Bible spiritually, historically, geographically. It answers to every history, every situation of life. It answers to the heart of man. It answers to the nations. It answers to the wars, the persecutions, the satanic struggle that no person on this earth can deal with and solve. The Bible is accurate on every point where you touch it. And therefore, I know that it's accurate on heaven and hell. The Apostle Paul was in court for crimes he didn't commit. 
trumped up charges, Acts 24, 24 to 26. And after some days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned, as Paul reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. King James says Felix trembled and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call you. I don't want to accept Jesus today. Maybe another time, maybe in the future, but not right now. I'm living my life. I, I've got other priorities. Maybe, maybe one day I'll go to church. Maybe, maybe one day I'll take a look at Christianity. Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. Where were his hopes? He wanted a bribe. He wanted some money. The apostle Paul was there offering him the hope of eternal life, offering him God himself, offering him eternal glory, offering him Jesus Christ, but he couldn't be bothered because his hopes were so set in this world. All he had, I just need a little more money. I just need a little more wealth. I just need a little more recreation in life. He couldn't get his hopes out of the natural. Now the Bible says that Paul reasoned with him. Can you imagine the apostle Paul, the greatest apostle in the New Testament? Reasoning with you of righteousness, of self-control, and of judgment to come? Reasoning with Felix of righteousness. There is none righteous, no, not one. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all doomed to death and eternal damnation. But there is one who is righteous. His name is Jesus. And he will impute his righteousness upon you if you accept him and receive him by faith. Paul reasoned with him of righteousness. Paul reasoned with him of self-control, moral character, holiness. Paul reasoned of him about holiness, right character, righteous character, godly living in the person of Jesus Christ, and he reasoned with him about judgment to come. You don't want to step into eternity without Christ, Felix. You'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ and you don't want to hear those words, I never knew you, depart from me, I never knew you. And have angels bind you and cast you in outer darkness into the dungeons of destruction. As he, as he reasoned with Felix, I can imagine the anointing. And the tables were turned that day. Felix was at the bar, but all of a sudden, he was the prisoner. He was the prisoner under the threat of sentence. And Paul's reasoning with him, and Felix is trembling under conviction, under fear, the Bible says, of his spiritual state and this future. Some sparks of eternal judgment had fall, already fallen on his clothes, but he brushed them off quickly. I said, Paul, go away. Maybe when I have a more convenient time, I'm not interested right now in the hope of eternal life. I, I need some money. I want, I want to make my life down here more pleasurable and I want to make my way in this world. Yeah, Felix trembled. But it was nothing compared to the trembling that he experienced when he did stand before the Lord at the end of his life. Number three, 
when God gives you a word, be on guard against hope deferred. What a nice rhyme that is, huh? When God gives you a word, be on guard against hope deferred. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Isn't that true? When the fulfillment comes, you have some hope of something, an anticipation, and it seems to be delayed and delayed, and sometimes your heart can grow sick and weary. You almost lose hope. But when the fulfillment comes, my, what joy, what pleasure. It's like a tree of life. You can just go and eat the fruit of that all day long. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now, while you're waiting for hope to be fulfilled, some word from God, some promise from God, you can end up with a sick heart. What do you do in the meantime between the the word and the fulfillment of that word in your life or in your family, in your circumstance, in your struggle? Because in the meantime, your heart can get sick. But I know somebody that knows how to heal sickness, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jehovah Rophi. I am the Lord that heals you. Dr. Jesus came from Nazareth to heal the sick and raise the dead. When your hope is deferred and you feel your heart is getting sick about it, get to the great physician and say, Jesus, I need some healing right now. I don't want to go on with a sick heart until the fulfillment of your word comes. I want to walk in expectation. I want to walk in purity. I want to walk in strength. I want my heart to continue to abound in hope until the fulfillment of your word comes. He wants to heal our sick heart. He wants to heal our broken systems, the despair, the hopelessness, the futility we feel sometimes when it seems like life is falling apart and families are falling apart and friends are falling apart and maybe finances are falling apart. He wants, to, he wants us to know that he's there to heal us and to take us in those times and lift us up. Abraham had a word from God. The Bible says, as it is written, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Abram had that word when he was 75 years old. I have made you a father of many nations. According to the promise, as it is written, in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead, circumstances. He gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. God quickens the dead. God calls those things which do not exist as though they did. It says of Abraham who, contrary to hope, or who against hope, in hope believed. His hope was under attack because God had given him a word, and yet it seemed so hopeless to have a child. He didn't have one child of promise for 25 years. That's how long he had to hold out in the promise of God. God says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I've given you my word. I've spoken my word over your life. And the testing came. And the, 
the futility came. And Abraham, like all of us, at times had some lapse in his faith, but he shored himself up. Sometimes he took matters into his own hands, as he did with Ishmael. But underneath, there was an abiding hope. Even though he struggled, he knew deep down that God is not a man that he should lie. And that what God has spoken, he will fulfill. For no word of God that is spoken over our life, no prophecy that comes from God that is accurate and true will ever lack fulfillment because God has the power to fulfill his word. And that's why he's the God of hope. He never fails his word. He never fails his word. The Bible says of Abraham, though, though his hope was under attack, contrary to hope, in hope he believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. He did not consider his own circumstances. He did not consider the dead body of Christ. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. King James says he did not stagger at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He said, I'm going to keep giving glory to God. I'm going to keep on worshiping. I'm going to keep on praising the Lord. I'm going to keep singing. I'm going to keep praying and interceding and prophesying the word of the Lord and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able, also able to perform. What a walk of faith. You know what Abraham did when the going was difficult? He had that pilgrim staff of faith. Here's the word of God. But he said, I know what moves that staff. Hope moves that staff. He would lean into his faith with hope, anticipation of what God has said. Hope will lead you. Hope will put a spring in your step. Hope will move your faith forward. Never give up your hope because the God of all hope is backing you. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11. The apostle said, and we desire that each one of you, each one of you, no member of the congregation lacking here. He said, we desire that each one of you, that's how individual it is, that's how personal it is. Every one of us have to hold on to hope and work out the promises and the provision of the Lord in our lives. That he, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence, diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, until it fulfills, until eternal glory, that you do not become sluggish. Marginal says lazy. It's one thing to be sluggish, it's another thing to be lazy. The Bible calls for diligence. So that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. When God gives you a word, be on guard against hope deferred. Now let's stand this morning and bring up the final scripture, Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him.
for the help of his countenance. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. The battle within. Sometimes we have to talk to ourselves. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you feeling hopeless? Put your hope in God. Put your trust in the promise of God. For you will yet praise him, who is the help of your countenance and your God. Now this morning, as I mentioned at the start, the Holy Spirit knows what's going on in every life. He wants every one of you, every one of you, to show the, the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. And I pray, as the Apostle Paul prayed over us all, that the God of hope would fill us with all joy and peace in believing, that we would abound with joy, abound with hope, overflow with hope in Jesus Christ, and know that the hopelessness that we face at times in this life is simply a temptation. It's a temptation to hold us back, to turn us aside, to break our faith, to break our joy, so we don't have all joy and peace in believing. Hopelessness is an attack to wear us down, to tire us out, to take us off the track, to keep us from the fulfillment of what God wants us to walk into because there's only one way into Canaan life. There's only one way into vineyards and olive yards. There's only one way into the promised land. God says, I'm giving you a valley. It's a door of hope. You have to go through the door of hope if you want the inheritance. And that's why we can't give up our hope in God ever. Let the door swing open smoothly. Let it swing open with trouble. Either way, we walk on in the word of the Lord and walk on to the fulfillment of the Lord. This morning, the altars are open. If you feel you need the Lord today, maybe you tremble under the gospel like Felix, tremble. You're afraid of dying. You're afraid of life beyond this life because you have no assurance in your soul. One thing the Lord does when you come to him, as the Bible says, he breaks the fear of death out of us because that fear comes from the devil. He breaks it out of us. We have assurance that we're going home to be with our God. We're going home to eternal glory, that heaven is real. We're going to walk on streets of gold. We're going to eat of the tree of life forever. And hope springs eternal. Now abide these three, faith, love, and hope. Say, why do we need hope in heaven? Why would hope? I can see faith and love. Why do we need hope in heaven? Why do we need anticipation in heaven? God's just reminding us that when we get there, we will stand on tiptoes that all the days of eternity at what God is doing and the wonders he's unfolding because he's created forever. The greatest days are yet to come. One holy martyr stood at the stake with his companion beside him. The fires began to be lit. He encouraged his fellow sufferer in the flames. He said, it is but a twinking. 
of the eye. It's but a twinking, and all our sorrow and pain are over forever. Hope is never lost. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, receive the Lord. We reason to you from the scriptures this morning of righteousness, of holiness, and of judgment to come. Eternity is real. And in this life, we make the decision whether we're going to follow Christ or follow him not. Pray this morning that every person in this auditorium, in this sanctuary, knows Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. If you don't, come. Accept Jesus Christ. He's the only way to the Father. He's the only way for eternal life. But there may be others this morning, you're feeling hopelessness in your life, and you can stay where you are in the seats, or if you feel you want to slip down to the altar and recommit to hope with God, anticipation, believing the promise of God. Slip out from where you are, but let's turn this entire auditorium right now into a place of worship and praise and gratitude to the Lord. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God, for hope in God will never disappoint. Hallelujah.